Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. Kicking it off with Devil's Reign Omega, number one from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, Jim Zub, Rodney Barnes, art by Rafael De La Torre, Luciana Vecchio, and Guillermo Sana. As you can probably figure out from the title, this is finishing up the Devil's Reign event that found Kingpin leaving New York, Luke Cage becoming the mayor, and Daredevil not dying, but Matt Murdock seemingly dying. But it was actually not Matt Murdock. It was his twin brother, Mike Murdock, who doesn't exist, and that part is too complicated to get in, so don't worry about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> but They've somehow made it real and made him have a friend. Yeah, uh, which there is you crazy. go. Friends I mean, little, for, little Kingpin. Lil, Lil Kingpin. Can't wait for the um, cutely drawn version of that. Um I feel like when I saw this um, uh, coming out this week, I was like, how many uh, Greek alphabet letters are we going to hit on here <laughs> with this? <laughs> feels like this is when, like, all right, Devil's Reign finally ending with uh, Zeta, <laughs> the issue that brings all to a close. It does feel like it's going on for a while, but what this does is it not only brings the event to a close, but also kicks off the new Thunderbolts title. It kicks off the new status quo of Luke Cage in New York and also sends us right into whatever's going to happen next for Daredevil and Elektra as they go on the track of the hand, which doesn't come up with this issue. But I'm going to say maybe puts them into direct conflict with the Punisher, who's currently yes. running the hand. So that's fun. That'll be fun. And I, I don't mean that as a criticism because I've sure. actually really liked this crossover. I think it's been one of the small events um, in, in Marvel that actually feels much bigger. And they've been able to tell like a, a big event in sort of a very basic uh, book or couple of books. And I like the status quo they're establishing in here. Uh, the art's very good. I like all of the sort of spin out areas we're doing. It's just funny to me that every week it's cloudy with a chance of Devil's Reign. <laughs> we get to, get to our stack. I really like this as well. One of the things that I really particularly like is I love the take on Luke Cage as the mayor of New York, being the guy who's like, I don't I don't want to move to Gracie Mansion. Come on, I'm just going to yeah. live in Harlem. Leave me alone. Please, can you take care of this? Why can't we do anything? And honestly, I'm sure I'm probably in the minority here with comic book fans, but my least favorite part of this issue, which still is fine because I like Jim Zun's stuff, but my least favorite part was like the classic beat-em-up thing where he was just getting in a big fight. 
I like the part where he's like, I'm Luke Cage. I need to deal with bureaucracy. This is driving me insane. Like, I want to see more of that. I want to see Luke Cage stuck inside the West Wing and going crazy. Uh, I agree. And this is basically a Luke Cage book. Um, Mm -hmm. It's mostly focused on him and his story. Um, Naturally, Iron Fist is, um, you know, a little bit smaller and a little bit behind him as he (laughs) seems to always be. It's almost almost funny that he's just like, hey, you need a hand? He's like Wilson from Home Improvement. Yeah, he's as foggy is basically what he is. That's a fun. That's a more fun foggy. I will say Iron Foggy. Um, Mm -hmm. Hello. Maybe. But this is a good book. Like you said, great event and a nice end to it. Moving on to Pearl number one from Dark Horse Comics. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Gatos. If you didn't know from the title, there was a previous Pearl series, which this is picking up directly on following the murder of a Yakuza boss. Now, Pearl is kind of in charge, but she's also sort of a slacker and she's dealing with some stuff. So a lot of stuff going on here, but I'll tell you what, that Michael Gatos art is fantastic. I agree. The art's great. Um, This is a hipster um, Yakuza, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say this book for a number one does not do a great job of setting up (laughs) who everyone is and what's happening. Because I was reading this, I was like, especially from Bendis, who is like, he obviously wants to get to the part where he's just riffing on shit. Mm-hmm. But he usually does a good job of being like, all right, here are the characters. Because he wants to get to the riffing, so he has to set the parameters for the riff. Mm-hmm. And in this, it was just like, I was like, who are all these people? They're ta- they're being very cool, but I don't know who or why or how they relate to each other. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I read the previous Pearl books, and I still spend half the time being like, do her, do her tattoos come to life? I don't quite remember what the concept is here. But yeah. no, the concept is she, she's just like a young Yakuza boss. That's pretty much it. And she's cool. Yeah. Uh, and in terms very of that, cool. very fun. Once it t- finally gets into it, I like the characters here. I do like the riffing here. This, uh, Like I said, the Michael DeGatos art is great, and it ends in a big cliffhanger place. That is very exciting for going forward. So I think it's going to be cool to check out. Excited to read more of this one, even if it's very much deep dive and does not feel like a first issue at all. Yeah. It's not even that it's a deep dive. It's more that it's like it's like showing up to a house and being like, hey, I'm here for the party. And you're like, oh, this is the wrong. I don't know any of these people. <laughs> but you're like, well, I can't leave. I said I'm here for the party. Uh, I know so. that one's called Pearl. I know that that's the host. But that's all yeah. I all I got. Her tattoos keep t- coming to life. Oh, my God. Cool. Well, let's move on to a number one that I do think does a good job of resetting the world here. Unnatural Blue Blood, number one from Image Comics, written by Mirka Adolfo, art by Mirka Adolfo and Ivan Bitarella. The first is series was, I believe, Mirka Adolfo's first series, kind of the thing that catapulted her to fame. She's now been doing a ton of other books from there, but it was this world with these different animal people. They weren't allowed to fall in love with people that were of different types. Ultimately, it led to this semi-mystical thing with one pig lady and a big adventure there, but also had some surprisingly deep things to say about racism. So I was very excited to get into this one and see if it was saying similar things. I'll say this, not quite yet. No. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I still, I like the art. I think Ivan Bitarella is a really good pickup for Micron Dolfo. She only does the first three pages here, but the styles complement each other really nicely. Yeah. And I like the world and I like the characters, but at least in this first issue, it's not 
saying stuff quite as strongly as that first run. Uh, yes, agreed. Um, and it's also like we have our sort of overarching premise and then this is getting into some like fantastical mysticism perhaps, um, with our end of the issue and the final page reveal. So I am curious, um, where it goes, uh, and it's hard to tell exactly where that's going to be. Uh, it's hard to tell even directionally where we're headed. It's more like something surprising happens. Yeah, the difficult place they start in here is they're like, well, racism's dead and everybody's doing well. So, hooray. And yeah. th- that's not, there's not enough of a conflict place to start with. Like the first series started in this place of like, we could never do this. Society is ruined. Everything is tense all the time. Here, everybody's feeling generally pretty it's good. pretty fun, yeah. Yeah, they're doing fine. So still on board, still curious to check out the second issue, see if it digs in a little deeper like that first series. Um, in the afterward, Mirkon Delpha seems very all into it, but I'm a little trepidatious now, so we'll see what happens. Let's, let's move on and talk about Batman Fortress, number one from DC Comics, written by Gary Whitta, art by Derek Robinson. So this is a blockbuster team. Gary Whitta is the uh, Star Wars guy, among other things. Yeah. And Derek Robertson, of course, is a rad as hell artist. The idea of this book is what if there was an alien invasion and all of the heroes were gone except for Batman, which doesn't seem like too much of a problem if you've read any comics before. But... <laughs> <laughs> at yeah, the same he's pretty time, good, uh, Batman. <laughs> well, at the same time, I think they do a good job here of setting this up as a Batman who's not the hard-nosed, can-do-anything Batman. He has questions. He tells jokes sometimes. He's funny. Yeah. It, well, that's what I like the most about this is this Batman Bruce Wayne that we don't see very often. Mm-hmm. The one who is like Batman in the animated series. He's a real person. He has a sense of humor. There's some great Batman Alfred stuff that feels so fresh because it's just Batman being like, hey, I got you a funny T-shirt, which is something that's very human. Um, and it's just so refreshing. Uh, as far as the story, like, I'm very curious. Uh, I, I like the setup here, and it's a cool idea. Um, and I, I don't mind that it's just focused on on the Batman part of it, and we don't know, like, because I don't want to get caught up in the logic of like, well, where's Martian Manhunter? He could help. Mm-hmm. It was a space thing. I'm like, no, nah, I just want to see Batman versus aliens um, for the with Gotham City on the line. Well, and like we're saying, I think it's a really smart decision here because we have seen him take on alien invasions and gods and everything else so many different times in the comics to set this up as a more relatable Batman. That's something that completely got past my armor towards this idea here. Oh, and yeah. It, it's good. Um, fun stuff. Next. By the way, your armor is so shiny. It's beautiful. Thank Did you, you shine I, it up? I lost my job, so all I do is spend uh, time shining my armor all day. Wow, that's a good pastime. Because you know what? It's going to be great in job interviews. I think um, so. When you all shine Dress up. for the job you want, man. Dress for the job you yep. want. And when you I want to be one of those nights that just stands in a rich person's home? Stands very still? <laughs> uh, I don't think people are in that, but if somebody's what? paying, if somebody's paying... I'm not going to turn it down. You know? I mean, it's pretty. It's a baller flex to be rich enough to pay someone to stand still all day long, just in case uh, like an archer comes. Like it's uh, great. some dudes will do that in the park for like mere pennies, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, dream job. Let's move on. Talk about Ice Cream Man number thirty from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martine Morazzo. This is another fucked up issue of Ice Cream Man, is what we got going on here. 
there's something like this book is so good. We talk about this book ev- literally every single issue since it came out, um, and any other spinoff or anything related to it. So like we're in the tank for it. But there's something so visceral and nightmarish about this book. It's one of the only books that I look up and I'm like, wait, how long have I been reading this? <laughs> like I, it's immersive in a way that no other comic gets me. Literally, I was. Uh, I forget what I was. I had it was like I had a meeting or something, and I looked and I was like, "Oh my god, I, I'm late!" <laughs> and I, like, because I was just reading this comic casually on my couch, and that's how powerful it is. It's all one and done stories with a, a slight uh, overhanging th- mythology that we're just slowly exploring. And this one about sort of uh, pharmaceutical world, the test subjects, dr- how we use drugs, um, how our minds can be playing tricks on us. Like, I love it. Yeah, this was a really good one. I It took me a while to get into it because I kind of felt like, all right, I know what you're doing here. I get the concept. But particularly as it goes on, it just keeps twisting in on itself the entire time with the story. Smart stuff. Great art. Like you said, totally horribly nightmarish images of this one in particular. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the corner of my ceiling being like, there's a big... Bald Spider-Man, and not a fun Spider-Man. Weird (laughs) spider Not the No Way Home type, but the other type. Yeah. Legion of Acts, number one from Marvel, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Jen Bazilda. Bazildua? There you go. I got close enough. Anyway, this is... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You don't know if you did. Uh, Uh, I definitely didn't. This is picking up on Cy Spurrier's side of the X-Men universe is kind of what I feel like what it is. He keeps... They keep launching titles that he's on, and it's basically he's telling his own story. Everybody else is like, we're really focused on this Krakoa stuff and this Arako stuff. We're building this universe. And Sysperator's like, yeah, yeah, shut up. I got Nightcrawler and a bunch of weirdos, and they're doing weird shit over here. Let's go. Yeah, literally, he's like, yeah, you guys have your little world. Well, I have Legion, who is also his own little world where other stuff happens. And like he, he <laughs> is, adds a third equally opaque thing to the Krakoa Arako situation. Where anything can happen, he's like, yeah, we're going to walk out of this place sometimes, but no one's going to want us to. And uh, so it, it's just very funny that um, it is its own pocket. You know, this book is its own pocket universe. But I do like it. I feel like Cy Spurrier has been writing Legion for years now in mm-hmm. different titles and different like sort of limited series and whatnot. Um, and I like the the sort of different takes. I like Cy Spurrier's ability to just like – continually expand what's going on with these characters through pure imagination is always fun. Um, and I think the character selections here are great. Um, forget me not is an especially fun, uh, character and power set in here. Let's talk about Hellboy and the BPRD night of the Cyclops. Number one from dark horse comics written by Mike Mignola and Olivier Vitin art by Olivia Vitin. This is a one shot story where Hellboy finishes a fight and ends up getting lured into a hole by a goat woman and ends up fighting a Cyclops among other things. Uh, I thought this was great. I really thought this was a really fun Hellboy done in one adventure. I like these things that particularly given how big BPRD got towards the end there, just having things that tie into this world don't necessarily affect everything in an enormous way. It's just Hellboy being in over his head going, whoa, and then punching some stuff and then kind of moving on from there. Fun times. Yeah, and I feel like 
I'm just surprised Mike Mignola doesn't do this more often, just do one-off Hellboy stories. They're so good. It feels like everybody wants them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems like it's just like he Hellboy is, like you're saying, just put him in over his head in some sort of fantastical, mythological, pseudo-religious situation. You got yourself a win. <laughs> and in this goat woman, he maybe gets hit by a Cupid arrow. There's a little, there's a romance. There's like a s- s- horniness to this comic in mm-hmm. a way because the goat woman's nude the whole time. Um, and you don't know there's love, romance. Like it's got it all. And I want more. There you go. Stillwater number 13 from Image Comics, written once again by Ship Sadarsky, art by Ramon K. Perez. In this issue, we're picking up on the big cliffhanger of the last issue in the town where nobody can die. They have extended the borders, allowing uh, our main trick. character to stay alive. He plays on that this issue and everybody's confusion to uh, make them think he is the god of this town. They don't buy it for very long, but it does lead to a big game changer at the end of this issue that means really bad things for the people that are near the town of Stillwater. Like we talk about with every issue here, I just really like how they are literally expanding the concept of this book as they go. Very smart. Who knew that city planning was such a big deal? You know, they're slowly, it's all about the uh, drawing up the county lines and um, it's a fun Fun little twist. Uh, It's cool. I like this book a lot. Movies and feelings. Pop, pop. Bring Your Own Popcorn is a podcast that dives into people and the movies who love them. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, inviting you to join me and an assortment of wonderful guests on fine podcast apps everywhere. Bring your own popcorn. Next up, DC versus Vampires Hunters, number one from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Neil Googe. <laughs> there you go. Now, this book is picking up on the DC versus Vampires event. Big spoiler here, but we found out the king of the vampires is none other than Nightwing. He has killed Bruce Wayne and taken over the vampire world. In this issue, we follow Damien as he tries to take down Dick Grayson Vampire, along with Alfred, Martian Manhunter, and a bunch of other folks. Uh, first of all, a shout out from our compatriot, Pete who couldn't be here, who would love this book. I don't have his note open. Yeah, I have it. I'll read it. it aloud. Yeah. Um, he texts, if you don't mind mentioning that Burgie's DC versus Vampire Hunters number one is a banger and a must read. Art is bananas great, which is bigger bananas than usual. Okay. He says bananas good a lot. These are bananas great. Wow. Um, and that was the sidebar back into character. I was very moved by the ending. It is so good. I had to say something. Um, there you go. Do you That's agree, what Justin? I, I do. First, let me say, he could just text us in his notes. I, we can re- take turns reading them aloud. Like, uh, uh, it's good. We should all do that when we miss. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to just start doing that regularly. I'm not even going to come to the show. I'm just going to text you guys a bunch of shit. You can read it. Uh, great. So no different than usual, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
That is what Pete. I was in Pete's character. You know, that's good. You're really channeling his character. Uh, this is a character. solid comic. I liked it. Character. I like this event. I like this world. I think they're doing a good job here, and this is more of it. I said this on the live show, but I think the this uh, DC versus Vampires pocket of the DC universe is some of the most exciting stuff that they're doing at the company. I really love it. It's great, high tension storytelling. And it's so concise. It's not like fully like expansive. It's not taking its time to like meticulously plot out all these small little details. It's like, no, we're going to propulse through this whole story. And uh, this is another great version of that. And that, of course, kicks off the first of our three-part nonstop vampire block, a thing that yeah. I did on purpose. It was not an accident at all. Let's move no, on then no, no, to... No. no, everything is purposeful here. The Vampire Slayer, number two from Boob Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Sonia Lau. This is the second issue of the rebooted Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow, has Slayer powers now. We find out a lot more about why and how that happened in this issue. Um, I'll tell you what, I think we were pretty mixed about the first issue, even though we really liked Sarah Gelly's The Last Vampire Slayer, which was a yes. post-apocalyptic Buffy. Um, this issue was way more like it to be. This gave a lot of yeah. explanation. This almost felt like this should have been the first issue of the book. Could have easily and- been. Absolutely. And uh, I, I'm digging it now. I liked it. What about you, Justin? Same. I thought this was a, a great, let's just call it a great first issue, um, if you want to jump on board here, um, that establishes sort of what's going on, sets up some fun um, universe-switched uh, situations here, and uh, puts us in a place like, what I like about this is with Willow in the Slayer seat, she doesn't know really how to use uh, her powers and sort of not confident in what she's doing, which takes us back to sort of a, an earlier place where we can really tell some maybe different stories, as opposed to so much of Buffy is like, we've sort of seen and done everything here. She's too good to lose. And so she it's a little harder, I think, uh, to start to start a new story that does, that just uses those circumstances. So it's a great reset. Uh, definitely uh, worth picking up if you're a, a Buffy head. And finishing off our Vampire Trilogy here, Bloodstained Teeth, number two from Image Comics, written by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. Now, we had Christian and Patrick on our live show this week, so go check that out. They gave a great chat about what goes into making this book. This takes place in a world where vampires are real and kind of running all business. The setup at the end of the first issue was there a vampire that really messed up and he now needs to go and kill absolutely everybody that he's ever turned into a vampire, despite being very old and having turned a lot of folks into vampires. We get the first of those action sequence type things, this issue. And I thought it was awesome. I love the art in this book in particular, uh, but I think the writing's really solid as well. What about you, Justin? I agree. And we had a great conversation with them, as you said. But um, it's just, if you like this book, hearing them talk about it is so cool because they do a ton of research. And they really are trying to make each issue standalone, have some real, like, action and genre touchstones. Um, Issue three, they mentioned on our interview, is going to have a a big French connection-style car chase. And it feels like, um, I said, you could do this book forever. You could have a vampire tracking down all the people he turned. It's such a fun premise. Um, I'm on board for a lot of this. Spider-Man 2099, Exodus, number one from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by Dave Wachter. Despite the title, 
This doesn't have a whole lot to do with Spider-Man 2099. It's more of a Winter Soldier 2099 book. Yes. And that worked for me. I think, like, Steve Orlando does a good job with weird tech future stuff. This honestly felt more like an Image Comics book than it did a Marvel comic book. Uh, What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely rooted in some Marvel history. Uh, We get some Winter Soldier stuff um, throughout the book, and some other characters are introduced. Um, And honestly, like, I was surprised by how little Spider-Man we saw, and I I think we're going to get back to Spider-Man, it seems like, next issue. But this is something the original 2099 run um, did a lot of, where it was just, like, flesh out another part of the universe in a particular title, because they had all this unexplored territory, and if you want to set up a character, you have to take the time to introduce them because it's new versions of everyone or uh, older an older version that has been changed somehow. So um, so this was cool. I'm here for it. I, I like this Winter Soldier 2099 character. I'm uh, hoping that it's uh, that they will be part of the main cast. Step by Bloody Step, number four from Image Comics, written once again by Cy Spurrier, art by Matthias Bergara. This is, certainly seems like the last issue of this book. Yeah. And it brings potentially to a close the story of this young girl who has been ferried to her destiny by a gentle giant. Now, this is mostly silent, or at least there is language, but we don't know how to read it because it's in another language. And so correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like this character, having dealt with the horrible loss of absolutely everybody in the last issue... And that was gut-wrenching. She goes on a journey and turns back time to the beginning so she can relive it again. Is that what you took away from it? It seems that way, yes. Um, I think so. That's what the the journey – and I think that sort of matches with Step by Bloody Step. She has to go on this great journey to get back to the very beginning point. Um, But I will say, because there's no language, it's hard to tell. It's it's not – we don't have that moment where it's like – and here's what happened. Um, but it's very cool. It's a great, the visuals are awesome. Um, and we end, I think, to our, the point you said, Alex, at the beginning here. But regardless, this is definitely worth picking up whatever happens at the end there for Matthias Bergara's art in particular, which is stunning, the layouts, whatever you think is happening. Next up, another beautiful book to look at, The Swamp Thing, number 13 from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins. In this issue, we're getting a big new revelation to the whole green, red, rot type scenario. I don't want to spoil it. say it like that. Don't say it so dismissively. No, not dismissive at all. We find out about uh, a big spoiler here, but they introduce the Parliament of Gears, which is machines, which super smart. I don't know why nobody thought about that before, but that's great. I was like, oh, this is such a no-brainer. Good job. I agree. Like, it's really fun. This feels like the when the the green and the red and the rot and all that came um that was during the uh Scott Snyder Charles Soul uh, runs on um Swamp Thing right yeah i, I mean i think alan moore introduced some of that and people have yeah. expanded it since but they definitely they've been hitting it really hard for years at this point well i think i think those guys did the with the animal animal man was uh, the avatar yeah. of the red uh swamp thing avatar of the green um and um, Abigail was the avatar of the the rot, or Arcane was for a while as well, sort of passing it back and forth. But um, 
that sort of felt like, oh, we're going to um, add the spectrum the way they did for Green Lantern to Swamp Thing and really blow it out. And this feels like a nice new iteration of that that feels totally justified. Uh, Ram V's work on this book has been excellent. It reminds me of um, uh, the Many Deaths of Layla Starr book we talk mm-hmm. about a lot as well that was so good. I feel like Ram V is great at this a Sandman-esque mythology building. Um, and we see it on display in this uh, title with a brand new Swamp Thing, too, which is also not easy. Yeah, great stuff. Rogue Sun, number four from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel. In this issue, we have our main characters fighting some sort of psychic ghost vampire thing as he's dealing with various forces coalescing around him. Uh, I've said this before, and we're going to talk about Radiant Red in a little bit as well, but I love this universe that they're building out. This is something that spitting out of Radiant Black that I've recommended to people who are like, I'm really you know, tired of the whole Marvel DC thing. This is such a new, fun, burgeoning superhero universe that you can check out. And it's such a pleasure to read things like Rogue Sun every issue that are basically like Dick Vampire, uh, Dick Batman with uh, energy powers is, I guess, kind of how to describe it. But it's fun. It's just a fun new superhero universe that I'm having a great time in. Yeah, I agree. It feels like back in the 90s where there were we were introducing new worlds a lot, the Ultraverse, um, mm-hmm. some of the earlier Valiant stuff, uh, where like it's bigger, big swings. What I think this does really well is it feels very current and the characters have that energy of like uh, early Spider-Man or like the new Warriors or things like that. Uh, Champions by Mark Wade, a book we may be talking about um, sometime soon. Uh, so, like, it, it really, the the tone is right, and each book sort of carves out a different little area. So, if you want to jump into sort of a wider universe that does feel pretty tight, even though it's not not really crossing over a ton, the characters pop up, and you, you, they're they're right next to each other in a storytelling way. Here's another burgeoning, not superhero universe, but universe. Something is Killing the Children, number 23 from Boob Studios, written by James Town and the Fourth, art by Werther Daldaria. In this issue, our main character, Erica, has been taken in by the police. She manages to get out and is hot on the trail of the monster that is terrorizing the town. A couple of other things going on here. We meet a new deadly character who's gunning directly for Erica. We get to see an older yeah. character who popped up... I believe in House of Slaughter, or no, no, no. He, he was in the previous flashback arc. Yeah, it's something is killing the children, and best of all, somebody says something is killing the children in the middle of the book. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> that was funny as a real uh, lay on there. Uh, this uh, I like all these characters. We get sort of a a Whistler type character in this man uh, who is uh, helping out Erica, and then the new villain here. Watch out. Don't talk shit on the airplane. It's a good lesson. Exactly. Uh, Because you may pay a price. Uh, I agree. But this book continues to sort of grind forward in uh, smart and interesting ways. (laughs) I like the word, use the word grind. Just uh, just dragging itself forward. I I don't mean it in a negative way. I guess I I, I mean like meticulously, like gears in the new You want more things coming out of every issue. And that's okay. You can say that. I mean, I I said that a lot before. I actually thought this issue did have a lot of stuff happening between okay. the different characters, so I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, more it's moving at its pace, and it's like yes. it's just slowly going through, like the way um, uh, a coffee grinder 
goes <laughs> and grinds coffee. <laughs> Which is one of the most pleasant, exciting experiences you can have. So I, I get what you're saying. Next yeah. up, Radiant Red, number three from Image Comics, written by Cherish Chen, art by David LaFuente. Again, if you haven't listened to our live chat with Cherish Chen, that's from now, I think, a couple of months back. You can yeah. check that out. But this is a spinoff of Radiant Black focusing on another jerk in the superhero universe, but, uh, you know, a little bit of a recalcitrant Trent jerk. She is robbing stuff, but feeling a little bad about it. Well, I mean, what I like about this book is each character, you've, I feel like I know these characters in, in a good way. Like, we've got um, Radiant Red, who's dating this guy who, like, got them into horrible gambling uh, debt. Um, and so she has to do crimes to uh, get them out. But then she meets a guy that they're having some chemistry with, even though he's a jerk, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all jerks. It's all jerks. All jerks all the way down, but good books all the way down as well. Mm. Action Comics 1043 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Ricardo Federici and Will Conrad. You're getting two stories here set in the world. The backup story about Martian Manhunter is now done. So instead, in the front story, Superman is fighting to free Warworld. In the backstory, we get some literal backstory on what's going on here and find out about the first Mongol. This is awesome. This is wild how much Philip Kennedy Johnson is delving deeper and deeper into high fantasy with every issue. But I love it. It's it's gorgeous to look at and great to read. Uh, this book, I think, is so good in in two ways from a writing standpoint. The high fantasy that you're talking about, something Philip Kennedy Johnson does super well um, in his other work. Uh, but we, we're getting that here. It's a real, like, exotic Superman story. Um, wild stuff. Bringing in characters like Midnighter and Apollo that uh, ha- are being used so well, I think, in this book. Um, Manchester Black as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and the other side of it, though, is being inside Superman's head. I feel like in a lot of Superman books or Justice League books, Superman is like, we're not inside his head. He's just like, I got to go do this. Um, I'm good. I'm definitely good. And a lot of that. And in this, it feels like we are along, riding alongside Superman and really feel his heroism, his like pure hearted heroism. Like there's this great thing in this issue where uh, Superman's like, remember your wife and son. And he's like, don't get caught up too much. This is obviously, you have to believe in this fight. He's so caught up. He's been here for so long. He must do what he's doing. He's like, remember, you have a life that you're you're trying to get back to. And that's sort of the whole point. And I thought that was so good and so true and feels like sort of a soldier's prayer type thing. And I think that's perhaps what Philip Kennedy Johnson is going for here. Like, he's off fighting, uh, fighting for right, but he has to remember why he's doing it. I am curious about one aspect here, which they start to explore the greater mythology of Mongol and war worlds and potentially the universe as well. Sort of an Infinity Stone-esque thing. Yes. This is what I was getting at, is Ah. it feels very Infinity Stone style, what's being introduced here. I'm sure... Philip is smart enough not to just be like, here's some infinity stones in the DC universe. So I'm curious to see how this executes itself and how it is different. But right now is definitely like, huh, that's, that's kind of the same thing, but we'll yeah. see, we'll see how it plays out. Next up, New Burn number seven from Image Comics, written once again by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jacob wow. Phillips in this issue, not to talk about the Yakuza again, our favorite subject, but 
accuse the boss has been murdered, and it's up to Newburn and his partner to track him down, track down the murderer. But things get real bad by the end of this issue for our heroes, anti-heroes, something like that. I think they're heroes. They're good detectives. And sure. that's uh, heroic in my book. It's another great book. Um, the sort of this fixer type character who's in between, who was a cop, left a, left that for sort of the right reasons, as we find out in this issue, are really cool. His, um, uh, his partner is a great new character. This ramps up quickly, the tension in this issue specifically. I was like, didn't see it coming. And I thought it really got to a cool place. Agreed. And last but not least, the Department of Truth, number 18 from Image Comics, written by James Tynan IV, art by Martin Simmons. In this issue, we are going back to the present and following our main character as he is wrestling with maybe leaving the Department of Truth. At the same time, he is getting wrapped up in a murder mystery that spans decades back to the Cold War. I've been a little back and forth about this title just because of how dense it is with the conspiracy theory sometimes. But this... I think is great. If we're getting into, it really feels like this issue is firing on all the cylinders of talking about conspiracy theories, talking about the characters and their conflicts and how they're connected to it, which gives us that emotional tether going on there. And then also just uh, having a good, interesting murder mystery. Oh, so I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what James Tynan is doing here is like really knows what he has on his hands with this book. Like, it's such a great idea. It's so, uh, like, topical and feels very real and present in our world. So I feel like he's really taking his time and putting a pin in different areas of the world and slowly, like a conspiracy theorist, connecting the pins with a different piece of red yarn so that eventually we're going to look back and be like, oh, that, the it was lizard people. Well, my book, yeah, it was definitely lizard people. That would be a weird ending where he's like, by the way, it was lizard people. Anyway, <laughs> have fun. Go, yeah. read, uh, go read my other stuff, you guys. Go read one of my other books. And that is it for us. If you would like to support the show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. See you soon, Pete. He won't listen to this. <laughs> Definitely not. Yes, I made